Well, good morning, friends. If you would, please turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 9. Uh, and those of you that are not my friends, you can also turn to Acts chapter 9. Um, I, I'm kidding. Hopefully you all consider me your friend. We're going to pick up today where we left off last week. Uh, and while you're turning there and the kids, if they want to, are finding the, um, the bingo pictures, I'm going to do a real quick refresher of what's happened so far in Acts chapter 9. Uh, You may remember we looked at verses 1 through 9 last week, and and in that Saul had been actively persecuting the church. Remember, Saul was extremely hostile toward the the followers of the way, the disciples of the Lord. It says he was breathing threats and murder against them. And so with the full power of the religious government behind him, uh, so essentially the support of the state, uh, he's traveling to all these these, uh, well, at this point, he'd been traveling all over Jerusalem. Now he's traveling to Damascus in order to continually persecute these followers of the way. But on the way to the nearest uh, major hub, which is what Damascus was, Jesus stopped his rampage. He revealed who he was to Saul, and he blinded Saul, and then he told Saul to go into the city and wait for what comes next. Uh, now remember, please, please somebody say aloud, who Saul of Tarsus became. Paul, thank you very much. Okay. Um, Before we read today's text, um, which is about what came next, I want to revisit something. Okay, this is something I said last week, which can be confusing. I had some weird looks last week, um, and I'm talking about the relationship between God's sovereign choice and salvation, which the Bible calls election, and the responsibility of human beings to respond to God's work in them. Okay? And I pointed out last week... um, And this is from the letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the Ephesian church several years after his conversion. That prior to salvation, Scripture says we were dead in our sins and transgressions. Then God, in his mercy, made us alive together with Christ. And I mentioned that dead people on their own don't do anything. In fact, can't do anything. And the spiritual life that God grants to human beings is something that is entirely impossible for us to produce within ourselves. We are incapable of this. Okay? God is the one who gives us spiritual life. Not only can we not earn it, but spiritually dead people can't even reach out and take it of their own accord. Because it's not possible to do anything spiritually good apart from Christ. He said so himself, John 14. That said, and this is where it gets tricky... The story of Paul's conversion shows us human beings still exercise choice in our response to God's work. And this is tough because we need to hold these two biblical truths in tension. The fact that God is sovereign over all things, including salvation, and the fact that he holds us responsible for our choices. And thus our choices must be real. As we look in today's text, we're going to see that God, he chose Saul but also that Saul was responding to the Spirit's work in him, even though he didn't have uh, the Spirit filling him yet. And I I think this goes to show that Christ often tenderizes us much in the same way that we we might tenderize a piece of meat. Sometimes he gets brutal. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. So I wanted to say that up front before we dive in. Uh, With today's section of Scripture, we see there are three main characters. There's obviously God. He shows up in a lot of the Bible. Uh, And then there's Saul of Tarsus, 
And then there's a fellow named Ananias. This is not the same Ananias who he and his wife Sapphira dropped dead four chapters before. Okay, this is a different Ananias. And as we go through the story, we're going to be looking at some of the some of the characteristics that Ananias demonstrates, as well as some of the graces that Saul receives. And also the mode by which they're received to some extent. And, and we're going to take a sidetrack. We're going to look at four things that God reveals about himself when he speaks to Ananias. Now, this sounds like a lot, but I promise you, this is a shorter than usual sermon. You may cheer if you like. <laughs> okay. All right. So, um, yeah. So the point of this church is, first of all, I, I want us to better understand God's character. I think that's so incredibly important, okay? Secondly, we need to recognize that every Christian needs to receive what Saul received, okay? And then thirdly, we need to be convicted that all of us should demonstrate the same traits that Ananias demonstrates in this passage. So with that in mind, let's open with prayer, okay? Father God, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for the, the rather unusual um, worship that we had this morning, Father, with uh, just kind of a, a, a minimized version. God, it was a, a, a nice change. And um, Father, it allowed me uh, to, to really think um, about the words I was singing. And Father, there, there's obviously that happens with the full band as well, but um, sometimes there's just having that, uh, having that a little bit more of a quiet, being able to hear the voices of the congregation a little better. Um, maybe it made my heart respond a little differently, but I just, I thank you. I thank you, especially for the song, Be Into Your Name. Uh, you are so great and big and sovereign. And Lord, holy, holy, holy are you. Worthy is the lamb who was slain. And this morning, Father, as we come before you, I pray that your, your Holy Spirit will open the eyes of our hearts to receive the word and that it'll be planted within us humbly. And I pray, Father, that you'll allow me to get out of your way uh, for this message, that you'll speak um, through me as, as you spoke through Balaam's donkey, Father. Just speak into the minds and hearts of people here, that they might see past uh, the fallen vessel that's preaching the word and, and receive the word. God, we love you so much. What you did through Jesus is absolutely amazing, incredible, and wonderful. And it's in his name we pray, amen. Uh, we're going to start in verse 10. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, here I am, Lord. <laughs> and right off the bat, I got to say, I love this response. Here I am, Lord. It reminds me of, of Isaiah's response that we looked at earlier today. Uh, when he saw the Lord high and lifted up and the Lord said, whom shall I send? And Isaiah said, oh, me, <laughs> pick me. Here I am. Send me. I'll do it. Of course, we, we're not there yet with Ananias, as we're going to see. But, but his reply shows, first of all, availability. His reply shows availability. And by that, I mean he is responsive to God's voice. Okay, this, this is an essential quality for a healthy believer to have. We, if we are not responsive, then that means one of three things, and none of them are good. Okay? Either we can't hear his voice because we're too distracted. Or we recognize he's speaking, but we're not listening, which means our consciences have been desensitized, which is not good. Or we're fully aware of his voice and what he's saying, but we're not willing to follow instructions, whether that's due to laziness or cowardice or whatever. Christians must be available to the Lord, meaning we must be ready and willing to listen to him and respond to what he says. 
Our minds should be constantly aware of God. There should be a God consciousness. We should think of him frequently. Now, to be fair, if God gave you a literal vision like he did with Ananias, then you would probably be a little bit more, uh, you know, apt to sit up and pay attention, right? I mean, we talked about that a little bit in Sunday school this morning. If, if we heard a word spoken from God from the heavens, it might be a little more compelling than something that we read, but it's still the same word, right? Did you know Ananias didn't have something that we do have? He didn't have the New Testament. Hadn't been written yet. We have this incredible advantage of having the actual, breathed out by God word in our hands, on our shelves, in our phones, most of us. We have God's word. So the question for each of us is, are we available and are we responsive to God's voice? How, how are we hearing from the Lord if we're not in his word? I mean, that's, that's a legitimate question. If we're, not, if we're not consistently engaging with the word of God, then we're not making ourselves fully available to him. And I want you to keep that in mind the next time you're tempted to binge watch some series on Netflix or, or, or get on Facebook and scroll for a couple of hours. You know, I mean, a, a Christian must demonstrate availability to our Lord if we're being faithful. Okay, so that's, that's the first thing. Uh, we're going to keep reading. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying, and he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come and lay his hands on him so that he may regain his sight. A street called Straight. How many of you think today somebody would start a petition to change the name of that street because it's too heteronormative? Anyway, uh, so, so Ananias is being told by the Lord to go be his agent of healing for Saul, and Tars Saul of Tarsus by the laying on of hands. Okay, now remember, uh, in last week's passage, Saul had been physically disabled, right? He had been specifically approached by Christ himself and then was physically disabled with blindness. Okay, and in this verse, God's, his recount is a reminder that Saul had been praying and fasting for three days, even though he had not yet been filled with the Holy Spirit. I find that very interesting. Clearly, the Father is drawing him. So, so one of two things is happening here. Um, either Saul has the Holy Spirit indwelling, but it's not yet been filled with it, or what I think is more likely, Saul is still in a state of unbelief, and yet he's being moved by the Holy Spirit toward genuine, repentant faith. So, so to, to reiterate, God's sovereign choosing does not absolve people from the necessity of response. So anyway, we're going to read on, but Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And, and, and here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. And this, to me, this paragraph is kind of the equivalent of him saying, um, okay. <laughs> you know, he seems like, uh, God, can, can we discuss this? Uh, can we argue a little bit? I'm not real comfortable with it. You know, he's certainly confused, certainly surprised by what God has said, and, and probably wondering if, you know, I mean, honestly, if you had a dream or a vision, you might be wondering 
if it was all in your head, wouldn't you? I mean, Ananias is hearing somebody tell him, the Lord, tell him to go lay hands on somebody that would have been the equivalent of Hitler today, okay? And he's probably wondering if he's had some bad hummus or something, you know, if, if like maybe this wasn't really from the Lord. But, but he's wondering, why would God, why would God send him to heal the guy who's been persecuting the children of God? That'd be like a- a- asking an Afghan Christian to go heal the leader of the Taliban today. But look at God's reply. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Ah. This, this is a revelatory statement, meaning that God is revealing some things about himself in this paragraph. So I just want to very quickly look at four things here that God shows about himself. First, he shows that he has the divine prerogative to choose. Okay? To choose what? To choose absolutely whatever he wants. He is God. I mean, look what he's doing here. He, he is choosing to change the heart of a violent, blaspheming man who probably was more hostile toward the gospel of Christ than anyone else alive. And upon changing his heart, making him into an instrument for God's own purposes. Now, again, that, that doesn't mean that Saul isn't going to make a choice in the matter. I mean, certainly from a human perspective. But, but God determined what Saul was going to do and who Saul was going to be. And then God began to orchestrate, both orchestrate the circumstances and, and besiege the hard heart in such a way that, 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 that the precise purpose that he had planned was going to be realized. God did that. And I love that God refers to Saul as his, his chosen instrument. Okay, and if, if you notice, um, Saul wasn't the only chosen instrument in this story. Ananias is his chosen instrument to reach Saul. And I, I think that that's, this is incredible. If, if, if we really think about this, remember, remember that when you wonder if you will have, if you personally are going to have any lasting value in the kingdom of God, remember that somebody was J.I. Packer's preacher. Remember that. Somebody was, was, was George Whitfield's Sunday school teacher. Somebody led C.S. Lewis to the Lord. Even if you never, you never feel that your sphere of influence is all that large, you may be God's chosen instrument to raise up someone who will reach thousands. Because if you are in Christ, you are God's chosen instrument. Anyway, so, so God has a prerogative to choose. But also, he glorifies himself through us. And if you really think about what this means, it, it's dumbfounding almost, because we are so messed up. I mean, aren't we? Can I get an amen? <laughs> we are so messed up. But God, will, he still brings glory to himself by having people carry his name, which is, which is probably a combination. When he says, carry my name, I think that's, that's a combination of carrying his, his image and also holding out his message. So it's, it's preaching the gospel with, with words, but also showing it with our actions. I think one of the most incredible features of his ability to glorify himself through fallen people is the way that he changes people. He makes us into a new creation. He regenerates us. He takes away our heart of stone and he gives us a heart of flesh. And in my 
this is my opinion, okay? I think few things are more destructive to God's reputation than when professing Christians live hellishly unregenerate lives. Conversely, few things glorify him better than the, when the worst of the worst become the best of the best as a result of his work in them. Thirdly, we see that God loves all nations, not just the nation of Israel. Now, this, this is very clearly shown all through the Old and especially the New Testament, although the, the Jews didn't seem to grasp the concept most of the time. But it's all throughout the Scriptures. There, there's evidence throughout the Bible that God was redeeming a people for Himself, not just so they could go, yeah, yeah, at everybody else, but in order that they might show His ways to the rest of the world. He rescued a people so that they could show the world who He is. And that's what He's doing with us, folks. But that God would require a Jew who is persecuting Christians, no less, to carry his name to the Gentiles. That was probably a weird thing for another Jewish believer to hear. I bet Ananias got really confused with that. You know? But it's an important reminder, guys, that God loves the world. Not just those who love him back. Because, again, without his work in us, no one would love him back. Because no one could. This is a great reminder to us. So we never start thinking that God loves us because of something we've done. Or because, even because we're deserving. He loves his enemies. Right? Praise God for his infinite mercy. Praise God. Finally, we see that God uses suffering for good. Now, without some context, we, we might not be able to pull that just from this passage. Uh, you know, uh, if you weren't aware of the rest of Scripture... Then, then you might think that God was really just planning to punish Saul, you know, for being hateful toward the church. But, but that suffering, that we're, we're going to see this later, okay? It'll show up later in Scripture. That suffering was multi-purposed, okay? It sanctified Saul, right? And it, it, and it gave courage to other Christians. And it caused the promulgation of the gospel. And on top of all this, it, it gave credibility to the truth of the message that Jesus Christ, God's Son, died for our sins, was buried, rose from the dead, and was seen by multiple eyewitnesses because nobody is going to go through the things that Paul went through for a lie that they know is a lie. Not going to happen. Only for the sake of God's name. So, so there's, there's some great stuff that, you know, right there about the Lord. It's, it's good for each of us to take to heart. So now let's get back to our friend Annie. Uh, verse 17, so Ananias departed and he entered the house and laying his hands on him, that's Paul or Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now there are at least three more very important qualities that every Christian ought to have that Ananias models right here in this passage. And the first, probably the most, the most obvious one is obedience right? He, he obeyed. Simply put, he did what God told him to do despite some very real concerns, right? He's saying, you're sending me to do what? To who? And the temptation here again is to say that, that well, we'd be obedient too if God spoke to us in a similar revelation, but again, 
consider whether you're currently being obedient to the revelation that we have in the written word of God. It, it's necessary. Scripture teaches, 1 John says, it is necessary for Christians to walk in the light as Jesus is in the light. And that means living in faith, love, and righteousness. And if, we, if we're not obedient, imperfectly, of course, we're imperfectly obedient, but consistently obedient. If, if we're not living in faith and love and righteousness, then we don't have a good basis for assurance of our salvation. We should be obeying what we know of God's will for our lives, despite the fact that we may not understand the why of his will. Now, if Ananias had disobeyed, could God have sent someone else to Saul? Sure, he could have. I believe he would have. But would Ananias have reaped the benefits of obedience? No, not in this instance, certainly. Anyway, we talk a lot in this, for those of you that are visiting, we talk a lot about, about the necessity of obeying the Lord uh, in this congregation. And so, uh, you know, we're going to continue. Uh, obedience is obviously, it's certainly the, the, the most, you know, apparent of the Christian traits in this paragraph. But what about the other two? When Ananias speaks to Saul, I want you to notice that he refers to him as Brother Saul. Now, this is an interesting title. Um, and, and by the way, I'm, I'm told, my dad actually told me this. He said, when you, brother so-and-so, like as a title, that doesn't show up anywhere else in the New Testament. So he said, whenever somebody calls me Brother Mark, I always tell them, you don't need to do that. You can just call me Mark because the only time it's used is that one time when it's used with Saul, who may not have even been a Christian yet. We're going to talk about that in just a second here. Um, how was Saul his brother? I mean, was Saul a Christian yet? Was it because they were both Jewish? I think it's hard to know. Um, I lean toward the latter. But the point, though, the point is that Ananias showed acceptance of a person whom God had accepted. Okay? And that is a valuable lesson for us to remember because it, it was the Apostle Paul, he later wrote the book of Romans, that tells us no Christian should ever judge another Christian based on extra-biblical assumptions. He says very clearly, who are you to judge another man's servant, right? And whatever Saul's spiritual status was at that moment, God already had marked him as one of his own. And Ananias couldn't argue against that. You know, there's even a passage uh, in another place in Acts where the Lord tells Paul, I have many people in this city. This is a city where the gospel hadn't been preached yet. That goes back to the sovereign choice of God. So God has clearly shown his acceptance of Saul of Tarsus, former enemy of the church. And no one had any right to deny that to Saul. And this is important, okay? This is important for us to remember, friends, because, uh, listen, we can't know for certain. We can observe fruit, but we cannot know for certain whether a person is born again by the Holy Spirit of God. But we can know this. God loves the inhabitants of this world, okay? And again, it was Paul himself, years later, who wrote that God desires all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. So there is no one that we should just write off simply because we don't see what we consider to be the requisite fruit or, or because, you know, we think they seem too hard-hearted to comply with God's will. We shouldn't. That's not our, that's not our decision. Now, that, don't get me wrong. Sometimes we, sometimes we need to dissociate ourselves with people 
and turn them over to the Lord's will. We see that in 1 Corinthians 5. Um, you know, Paul even talked about turning someone over to Satan in order that they might come to repentance and their soul be saved. Okay, but, but if a person should start showing evidence that the Lord is reaching them, then we ought to be all about giving them the same grace and mercy that he gives us. And speaking of grace, um, there's one other quality that, that bears mentioning. Ananias demonstrates the conference of God's blessing. Now, that's not the word conference, like, like a parent-teacher conference, okay? But conference, that means to confer, to bestow the blessing of God onto someone else. And in this case, it, it's, it's obvious that the power to heal Saul it was not inherent to Ananias, Okay? But he served as the conduit. He was the vessel through which uh, Paul was healed, or Saul was healed by God. And that's what we're called to be. Friends, we are called to, we're blessed to be able to bless. God has given us that ability. And sometimes God does supernatural things to us. You know, and, and he does them through us, such as, as bringing people to salvation through, the, through our sharing of his word. But oftentimes, y'all, he, he uses us to bless others in natural ways. You know, maybe uh, to give someone encouragement or to give them a hug or to give them financial help when they're, you know, in kind of a, a tough time. Uh, these are examples of, of some ways that we confer blessing on someone else. So, so friends, we, we got to listen. We've looked at the main character in the story. Again, that's God. OK. And what he reveals of himself in it. And we've taken a look at Ananias. We've seen some of the traits that we should exhibit as Christ followers. Now, I want us to read this last paragraph here. Um, this tells us about Saul of Tarsus. This last two verses here. And before we read it, I want, I want to give you a hint, okay, just to see if you can figure out what three things Saul received. And in each of these three things, he received both a spiritual and a physical manifestation. Okay, so three things. Again, each one is both physical and spiritual. Let's read. I'm going to go back and do verse 17 again leading up into this. So Ananias departed and entered the house. And laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul... The Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately, something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized. And taking food, he was strengthened. And for some days, he was with the disciples at Damascus. All right, um, just... just Spend a few seconds just seeing if you can determine the three things that Paul received, both physically and spiritually. I think, I think it's interesting that God, uh, he has graciously provided physical counterparts for things that we require in order to function spiritually. And on, on top of that, it's, it, it's miraculous that God chooses to partner with us in the way that he does. So, 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 that, so the human beings are the avenues through which God uh, provides his gifts to people. It's all right here in this passage. So as, as we look at this text, we're going to see clearly God, God used people in every facet of this situation. But it's also abundantly clear that ultimately everything came from God. So about those three things. First, the Lord gave him sight. The Lord gave him sight. Saul was given the ability to physically see 
when the blinding scales were removed from his eyes. Means something, doesn't it? We don't know these opaque cataracts, apparently, that were on his eyes. You know, God doesn't need to work through a human proxy, does he? God can heal however he chooses to, but he sent Ananias to lay hands on Saul. Why? Maybe it was to prove that he, he's working through the followers of the way. You know, whatever the case, though, the, the ability to actually remove the scales from Saul's eyes only belonged to God. And it actually, it occurred to me while I was, while I was writing this that, that human beings have developed some incredible technology and, and we've, you know, invented these amazing surgeries to restore and perfect human sight. And it sounds as though God had given, you know, Saul these, these thick cataracts on his way to Damascus. And I suppose you could argue that if that's all it was, that today's opticians could hypothetically have given Saul the ability to see again. Of course they could not if God had determined that they could not. But here's the question though. Could they open the eyes of his heart? Can't be done. No human being Listen, because this is important. No human being can do that for anyone. No human being can open the eyes of someone else's heart. Just as, as Ananias simply laid hands on Saul and the Lord healed his physical eyes, so today, in today's passage, the Lord also healed and regenerated Saul's mind and heart. Saul received sight both physically and spiritually. He was enabled to see the light. And this is the same way with us today, friends. It's the same thing. Just as we would not be able to see without God giving us eyes, we were not able to ascertain truth if he did not give us spiritual eyes to see. Secondly, we see that Saul also received baptism. Now remember that baptism literally means immersion. And the noun has more than one meaning. Okay, physically, it refers to being immersed in water, which is an ordinance and a sacrament that Jesus gave to his disciples that were then commanded to pass it on to others. Baptism is something that a person doesn't do. It's something that we submit to. He or she submits to baptism, and it's done by someone else. And in the same way, baptism happens spiritually when a person is immersed in God's Holy Spirit and they are regenerated and cleansed from sin. And this is also not something that a believer does. It's something that is done to us. It's done by the Holy Spirit in concurrence with repentant faith. And bear in mind, friends, no one can demand that the Holy Spirit do anything. We can only submit and receive what He does. A couple of, of important things to note. One, in the book of Acts, the baptism of the Holy Spirit did not always occur at precisely the same time as the physical act of immersion. We saw that in last chapter, and we're going to see that in the next chapter, flip-flopped, okay? But there is also no indication, okay, that a person received the baptism of the Spirit and rejected water baptism. Doesn't happen. Secondly, a person can be baptized in water apart from repentant faith, and all that does is get them wet. Both spiritual and water baptism 
must be in concurrence with repentant faith. And it is also something that every believer must do, or you are in violation of the will of God, or most must submit to, I should say. No believer should ever say, I don't need to be baptized. You can make an argument that no believer would say that. The third thing this all received, both physically and spiritually, I told you it'd be short, is food. Verse 19 specifies that Saul got up and received some food and was strengthened. <laughs> now, of course, food in itself is a gift of God, right? I mean, God created, yeah, <laughs> yeah, come on. God created, uh, he didn't make Whataburger, but he did allow it to be made, okay? <laughs> so, you know, food in itself, it's a gift. God created bread and, and oil and meat and wine for man to enjoy and to be sustained by. It strengthens us when we're weak, okay? But God used people, right? God used people to provide this sustenance for Saul. And also, the spiritual food. We see that Saul say, stayed for several days. She sells seashells down by the seashore. <laughs> Saul stayed for several days with the disciples at Damascus. And, and what, what that would have meant, okay, is that during that whole time, he would have been privy to, to Christian fellowship. He would have been available for, to, to, to be immersed in the teaching and the discussion of the word and possibly worship gatherings. You know, and guys, these, these are ways in which he would have been spiritually fed, right? Growing in knowledge and growing in, in understanding because he's feeding off the Holy Spirit's presence in, in the brothers and sisters around him. And folks, if we can all learn something here, okay? Obviously, we're all aware of the properties of physical food. Some of us probably too aware. Uh, but, but spiritual food, on the other hand, and we, we probably don't get as passionate about, do we? I mean, when was the last time you took a picture of your Bible and posted it on Facebook? I see a lot of meals, just saying. We probably don't consume it as regularly either. I find it interesting that Daniel, one of the most respectable, honorable, God-glorifying, godly men who ever lived, prayed three times a day. Just putting that out there. We're not as passionate about spiritual food and we don't consume it as regularly. So make use of your time, friends, to feed yourselves spiritually. Spend time in edifying fellowship with other believers, with your brothers and sisters. Read and study God's word with other Christians, not just Sunday, but all through the week. Praise God. I love, I love how we have the worship service on Sunday mornings. Praise God whenever you come together and, and sing songs and hymns and spiritual songs, right? The scripture tells us in Ephesians 5. Listen, we should be coming together to discuss his goodness and we should be testifying about what he's done and what he is doing in our lives. Make a habit of this. Don't isolate. Don't insulate. Make it a habit. Engage with Christ and with his word and with his body. I, I sincerely hope everybody here today will take something home from this message. And, and listen, maybe you don't know whether God is, is really trustworthy. And it's good to see these reminders of his character. 
Or it could be that you're like Saul, you know, and, and, and you're led by the Spirit to seek the Lord, but you're still uncertain. Maybe you haven't taken that step of faith. And maybe today you understand your need to, to receive what God is providing for you through this group of believers. And if that's you, pray for greater faith. And turn away from your sins and turn and, and, and turn to God and confess Christ and be immersed in water as he commanded and commit to walking with a church body that wants to come alongside you. And, and if you're already a baptized believer, I, I hope that, that Annie's example will stick with you and, and that we all, we must be available to God and we must be obedient to him and, and accept all of our brothers and sisters in Christ and confer blessings on one another. Anyway, don't, don't leave this morning without committing to whatever next step the Lord is revealing to you right now. Don't say no to His Spirit. So there's your invitation.